It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Good evening, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Welcome all to Legends of the 70s podcast. Joining me in this episode is Spurs legend Steve Perryman. And Steve, we're going to take a trip down memory lane. We're going to sure. stop off at a tavern and raise a glass or two to those memories of the hot, halcyon days of the golden age of football. Our 70s, Steve, what a yep. decade. Yeah, it was one that I was. I am very proud to have been involved in. Um, I think it was a great era for players to be in the right place in terms of where we sat in the community. We were, um, you know, heralded by supporters. We were respected by them. Uh, of course, they wanted the best. Of course, they wanted you to be better. But um, it was a competitive era where we all gave our our utmost we wanted to improve, and there were so many good players around that, you know, sometimes I look back and people say to me, you know, do you think you should have played for England more? Because uh, I only played once. Uh, and I and I answer and say, do you see how many good players they were in that era? So, um, yeah, great era to be involved in, and I, I love the characters both on and off the field. I love the characters. I've got to mention, before we start this trip down memory lane, uh, your book, Steve Perryman, A Spur Forever, My Lily White Blue and Life, forward by Glenn, and uh, yep. and also written by Tottenham Hotspur supporter. Yep, yeah. Well, nice, uh, proper man. Um, the reason being that you, you look back at your career and, you know... I joined Tottenham at 15, so I might be telling a story about the FA Youth Cup final, and I'd say, and we went a goal up at Coventry or whatever, and he'd say, Steve, no, you didn't go a goal up. <laughs> so the memory plays tricks with you, but if you've got if you've got Adam Powley on the firm, um, as I did as my co-writer, then he knew... <laughs> almost as much as me. I mean, he didn't know what went on in the dressing room, but he knew the facts and figures of of my career and the dates and the people that played or didn't play or missed the game. And uh, I think that's vitally important because if you write a book, you want to get it as much right as you possibly can. And um, I always tell the story about a, a, a man who changed my life was the teacher that that selected me for Ealing schoolboys and uh, under 15 level and his name was Mr. Jamieson J-A-M-I-E-S-O-N and now if his grandchild picked that book up and I'd lazily said Jameson so missed out the I I think that kid would be disappointed because 
you know, he'd like to think of his granddad being, you know, being a judge. So I think you need to get, you're never going to get it all right because the, the memory, you know, even Adam Powell's memory might let us down at some point. But, uh, but all good fun, it all needs checking. And people said to me that you can turn a book round in about six weeks. And if you're not that bothered about what's in the book, couple of interviews, couple of checks, and it gets sent off and comes back and it goes on a shelf like a can of beans. I took 18 months at least to write that book with, um, with Adam. So we covered what I think is, is almost everything. And, um, you know, I, I've always seen things from a, a slightly different angle. And um, that's what's portrayed in the book. So uh, I know people that have read it and think it's marvellous, and I thank them for that. But, um, but yeah, it's, I'm, I'm actually very, very proud of it. You should be very proud. I've got hundreds of football books. And I've got to say, when I say this is a book, this is a work of art. You and Adam must be uh, very, very proud of it. It is fabulous. Throughout the book, it's got pictures. There's a load of text as well. You've even got a Trevelyan on the front cover. I love the way, well, the inside cover. I love the way that you've, the content of the book, the way you've formulated the book. It is absolutely top drawer, and the paper's fabulous. That's enough of the book and blowing the smoke up your backside, Mr. Perryman. That's it. That's How, enough of that one. Yeah, let's go back to your upbringing. You were born in uh, Ealing, wasn't you? North Holt in, uh, in West North, London? North Holt, West London. Um, youngest of three boys, um, uh, which I am so pleased that I had two really good influences over me. Growing up, lived on the council estate. My dad was a coal delivery man in the in the tough old days of of coal delivery, uh, going up flights of stairs, etc. With with you know twenty sacks of coal one by one. Um, my mum was a mum, so she was at home when you got home from school, and you know, not that we was overfed by any means or over over overheated, but. We, you know, we were we were cared for and we were looked after. And and um, football-wise, we played over the outside the house. We played in the road. We played in the fields, and we played in the park. And um, and our life revolved around football, talking football, playing football, practicing football, um, keeping uppies, uh, eating the crossbar, uh, and all the things that kids do. And and it, it wasn't sort of led by teachers or, well, you know, there was no Sunday teams in those days. So, uh, yeah, you played football at your school. Um, uh, not really a lesson as such. You just played. They picked two teams and gave you a ball and off you go. And there was no real coaching. But I think that's quite important. I think that uh, there is a need for unstructured play. Um, you're going to have enough leading in what you should do and what you shouldn't do as you get older, and especially if you have a professional career. Lots of people want to tell you what to do and what not to do. But um, 
but unstructured football where you just enjoy it. And if you're enjoying it, you run further, you want to improve, you want to beat your mate, you want to run faster, you want to jump higher. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it was a lovely, lovely way to grow up with good influences that, you know, I always say that, that, you know, if I'd have had two brothers, instead of saying, come on over the fields, let's go and play. They said, come on, let's go and raid the sweet shop. <laughs> then, you know, you could have turned out like that, but, but thankfully they were good influences on me. And I, I feel extremely lucky that I met the right people at the right stage of my life. And not that I accepted everything that anyone told me, I thought it through and, and decided which way to go. But, um, you know, the, my, Ted, my brother, the oldest one particularly, but Bill also, they were the first influences on me and, and, and in a way a mentor. And I relate back to Ted, um, who was only four years older than me, Ted. So if I was 14 and got picked for the school team, like at primary school, um, and played on Ealing Common, uh, Ted would have had to take me there. And of course, he wouldn't be old enough to drive, so he'd have taken me on the bus, and the bus would have took half hour at least. And, um, you know, uh, travelling to the game and back from the game, Ted would explain one thing to me, and, and in depth, that one thing. It could be like an offside decision or a referee's um uh, way of refereeing or what a teammate of mine did but it very rarely was about me it was about the game and um, he certainly wasn't telling me how good I was or how great I just played or how awful I was he just explained things but probably in depth one thing per travel um, one thing there and one thing going home so what it did in the end, it gave me an opinion on the game, even if that opinion was copying Ted's opinion. So when I come to play at my own level or, or talk at my own age group, I always had an opinion on the game. And I repeat, even if it was copying Ted's opinion until I had my own opinion. So one of the major things he passed on to me was that if, Steve, if you, you know, 19 or 80 minutes in those days, I suppose, at that age, there's not a lot of time to get the, to play on the ball, to get the ball. But, of course, you've got to get it as many times as you can. But what are you going to do the rest of the time? So I suggest, Steve, if you, if you tell your teammate who's got the ball what you think he could do with it, it makes you a better player. It gives you a more of an opinion because that, that opinion is going to be either proved right or wrong. You might have given the wrong call and therefore you'll sort of think about giving a similar call next time. But it helps your teammate make a better choice. And this was the important part, he said. He says, Steve, not because your teammate is not a good player or you're better than him. But actually, Steve, none of us have got eyes in the back of our head. So we all need help. And don't get 
don't get angry if he doesn't do what you say or you try to help him with because when the ball comes to you there's lots of things in your in your mind or your eyesight and and you've already got a, a sort of an idea anyway before it comes to you so don't don't be upset but just try and be their eyes and um and that 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 one piece of advice made me a leader and I, I suggest that being a leader gave me a, a, a job for, for life in football. And uh, what great advice from my brother. So I'm 10, he's 14 years of age. He's not a coach, he's not a teacher, but he loves football and he wants me to improve. And I suggest, you know, Ted was the, the most important influence in my life for what he sort of helped me he helped me understand the game earlier than I would have done anyway. So, um, yeah, that was that was the upbringing. Happy, uh, so not not tough by any means, but not easy. And if we got one Christmas present, that would be that would be enough. And yet we had the opportunity to go and watch QPR one week and Brentford the next, old third division. And I think that's another important part of your development as a young player. You need to watch live football. I think you miss so much if you just watch television because television concentrates too much on the the disappointment in the player. The player who's hit the ball over the bar and he's running back and he's looking at the floor. Well, actually, they are not good habits to have looking at the floor too many young players look at the floor no get your head up if you've done good or you've done bad or you've done indifferent get your head up and look around you so uh, you know lots of lessons I learned um, through different people at various stages of my life and Ted I think was the most important one absolutely when Steve Perryman didn't or at certain times of the year, notably uh, autumn and, and winter and coming into spring as well, it'll get dark. So when you took your ball up, did you roll your socks up and play football in your house, in your hallway and, 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 and run that carpet threadbare? And if so, who did Steve Perryman pretend to be? Who's your heroes growing up, Steve? Yeah, um, uh, we played a lot with a balloon indoors. Yeah. Um, it's not too difficult to do, actually. But, uh, Good for but technique. <laughs> it's the technique. I remember kicking. If rugby was on the telly, I used to get a boxing glove <laughs> and just place it so it stood up. And then you, you kicked it and it, above your door where there's a, like a, a small window. You'd try and put it in that, in that window. <laughs> so, so, um, I I really really loved Bobby Charlton. Yeah. I loved him. I thought he stood for the right things. Um, always played fair. Had a magnificent shot on him. Could pass the ball sixty yards. Uh, you know, in those days when you're a young boy and you're watching football, you you just you marvel at this ability. You just marvel at the the control of the ball that the, the, the man had. And of course, there was lots of people that you could you could say the same thing about, but Bobby Charlton was one of those that stood out because he, um, he was special and he carried himself right and he was polite and he was, 
he was proper and uh yeah i i i really liked him and and you know people used to talk about if you was in a foreign country and you couldn't speak their language and you're trying to put across that you're english if you said to them bobby charlton that's ah englishy english man <laughs> and i and i can understand that and i i met him years years later in um tokyo um what's it called embassy he was over helping to promote uh, the japanese world cup bid 2002 uh, so this would have been about yeah well it was was 99 and uh, he came over with his wife and um gave a, a a short presentation to to the to the uh, invited guests and I was one of those being an Englishman working in 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 Tokyo well near Tokyo and um as luck would have it we the timing was great because we won the league uh that week so before I arrived you know people were telling uh, Bobby and his wife that you know Steve was manager of this team Shimizu S Pulse and they've come from being the least sort of um, powerful team as per no big owner. A lot of the clubs are owned by Hitachi and Yamaha and Mitsubishi and Nissan. Our area was was no big employer, but they were granted a license to have a, a J-League team. And uh, we, we took them from being with Aussie um Aussie eventually left after three years but but we took them from the least powerful to the best run club and uh with success so uh um Bobby was ex- it was explained to him that they Steve's team scored the most goals they conceded the less and very importantly had the best um discipline record in the country and therefore when Bob gave his 20 minutes sort of address um, ten minutes of it was about me and my team, which was which was lovely and very very respectful of him. Fabulous. How did you get into the pro game, Steve? Was it through playing for the district, playing for the county, and then yeah. Tottenham approached you? Yeah, played um, came from nowhere because I I went from junior school to a um, uh, a grammar school, yeah. followed my two brothers there. And we didn't play competitive football there, so I dropped completely out of the scene of of local football. There, as I said, there was no Sunday teams then. So um, all of a sudden, change of sportsmaster, new man put us all in for the district team, the the under fifteen team, which is where Mr. Jameson saw me and picked me. And I eventually played for Ealing, Middlesex, London, and England schoolboys, and. Tottenham were the first club to knock on my door. Uh, Charlie Faulkner, the chief scout, he lived in Hillingdon. I'm in Northolt, which is you know probably five six miles apart. And um, Charlie wanted me to sign to come training, and my brother said no, he's not signing that form. And I'm looking at Ted, thinking, why not? Tottenham Hotspur want me to sign a form, I'll sign it. And uh, anyway, Ted was right. I didn't have to sign it to go train in there. And, um, but eventually, after playing for England schoolboys, you're looked at by all the clubs in the country, and I probably could have signed for 30-plus clubs. Uh, but I decided to join the club that was first knocking on my door some seven or eight months earlier. 
and uh, basically I signed for them because I I really really respected Bill Nicholson and um, this man said it like it needed saying he no no bullshit no spin no mind games he just told you and I and I think that's a, that's relative to the era we're talking about the 70s aren't we yes, yes. so this actually was 67 mm-hmm. but but the men in those days that were running clubs were leader of their club. They had no director of football. They had no one putting pressure on them. They kept their jobs for a number of years, so there was a bit of consistency about them. And they weren't all over you telling how great you were. They wanted you to improve. And part of that improvement was don't let a young player get above himself. So they didn't, um, you know, Bill Nick said to me, my first um, my first instruction when I walked in the door was, Steve, if you play quick, easy and accurate, you'll have a career. Now, that was in 1967, and now we're in 2022, nearly 23, and I don't think that instruction ch- changes. For all the... For all the new words that are used in the game on the television and pundits, you know, everyone's trying to re- reinvent the wheel um, and over-talking it now. It's a very, very simple game, this. So the great Bill Nicholson said, Steve, if you play, if you play, excuse me, if you, if you play quick, easy and accurate, you'll have a career. Now, what instruction that was from the great man. And um, so I loved Bill Nicholson. Who can say that about someone they worked for? He was tough. He gave you very little um, uh, praise. He gave you lots of information. Um, He had a structure to play through the teams at Tottenham Hotspur. We had 50, 50 professionals when I signed. We had three, we had five teams that turned out on a Saturday, either Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon. Do you remember when the game used to kick off at three o'clock? Absolutely, everybody did. So, um, you know, very simple instructions. It's a simple game made difficult by players and coaches and managers alike, and now by television as well and you know one ball back the next one should go forward or through um ball goes out of play uh, the game goes dead you come alive never ever turn your back on the ball unless you've got eyes in the back of your head and simple little instructions you know play quick easy and accurate just a, a limited use of words but really give you the picture of what they wanted but all these instructions linked you all together. And, you know, I'm, I got in the first team at 17. I played with Jimmy Greaves. Well, he's not going to tell Jimmy Greaves the same, same things to, to, to get him to play better than, than me. You know, Steve, play quick, easy and accurate. Well, he's not telling Jimmy Greaves that, is he? <laughs> he's saying, Jimmy, let the defender sell himself and cut inside and then, you you know, place the ball in the net. But, I mean... It's, it's horses for courses. Yes. But but there was an element of all those instructions that linked you all together. You were all on the same page. 
You're all playing for the same reason. The reason was not the money. It sounds strange to say that, but it was not about the money. It was about the glory, about the fame. It was about doing, playing in a team and, and working to your responsibility. Your role was to do that, and you had to do that. And, uh, you know, that made you a good team and that made you proud to wear the Tottenham Hotspur shirt. And and I think my ability was that, that although I was not a North Londoner, I was a West Londoner, as I said earlier. But, you know, the moment I walked in that club, I felt the tradition. I felt the the honour. I felt the, the, the sort of glory that they'd had in the past. And, uh, of course, Bill Nicholson led that glory uh, as a player of 50-51 when they won the second division and then went straight up on the first division. Um, he did it as a player and he certainly did it as a manager with, with the things that he won, particularly the double and the first European trophy for an English team. And, you know, that was written all over the club and it was like, White Hart Lane was like a working class palace. Yeah. It wasn't flash. It wasn't ostentatious. It was a working palace where you were proud to be, and you didn't want to. You didn't want to make it dirty, or if you did make it dirty because you got boots on and mud off the pitch, you wanted to clean it up because that that place deserved it, and you were given a sense of pride and and a sense of the traditions that you were carrying on and. Um, yeah, I like the thing. I upheld all of those sort of values in my time there in 19 years. Absolutely. And Bill taking on the mantle, not immediately, from Arthur Rowe, who was his manager in the yeah. 50s and the push and run. And Tottenham had that fabulous tradition of playing fantastic football. Talk to me about the uh, the early 70s, Steve, your youth cup final against Coventry City, because Dennis yeah. Mortimer... Uh, played against you as the yeah. David. Oh, what a player! Yeah. What a player! And, and Graham, yeah. Graham played, didn't he? And you must yeah. tell me about Phil because when you mentioned uh, mentors, two mentors, Phil was one of your other mentors, and he got you into a few bits of bother, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, Phil, Phil, um, you Phil Holder, you're talking about, Absolutely, aren't you? Yeah. Phil was the captain of the team. You yeah. imagine, you imagine Perryman and Souness in the same team. Yeah. And neither of us were captain. Yeah. And Phil was the captain. And you know why? Because he was one of a family of 12 kids. And he had to fight his corner to get his shirt ironed or a bit of grub on the table or whatever. He had to fight his corner. And he was, you know, say we were like 16 years old together. Phil would have been 18, really, in life terms. And he knew how to act. He knew how to, you know, I remember him getting on the bus with six of us one day outside the ground to go to Manor House uh, to get on the train to go in our different directions. And and he paid for all six of us on the, on the bus. Yeah. And it's not like he had a lot of money, but it's just the way he did things. And of course, probably if you learned your lesson, next time you got on and there were six of you, you would pay yourself and, and uh, you pay for everyone. And that, he had a way of living that was the right way, the right style. He didn't bow his knee to anyone. He didn't suffer fools. He stood up to be counted. 
and could tackle well. I think he was too brave in the tackle. I think he, um, I think he was a like a, a Dave Mackay style, really, really tough, strong legs. And um, you know, he said to me one day, we 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 played. I think we played youth team against the first team, and I think we were both just seventeen, turned pro. Um, but I think it was more of a practice match for the youth team, to be honest. Uh, for, for probably to go and play in the, in the Youth Cup, not necessarily the final, but in one of the rounds. And um, we got in the car after training, and he said, Steve, um, Mullery mugged you today. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, do you not see his face, how he looked at you, when you tried to sort of nip the ball around the corner and go the other side of him, and he fucking took about a, a, a yard of earth and you with it, and he looked over you and like sneered at you, and said, "Don't ever let anyone do that to your son." I said, "Well, Phil, what are you saying? This is a captain of the club. What are you saying?" He said, "Nailing tomorrow." <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was men yeah. dealing with men. And some were young men and some were older men. You know, remember I played with Gilly, one of my favorite people in life. And you just acted like a man and you stood up for yourself. And when there's 50 pros and you all stand up for yourself, (laughs) there's going to be some sparks. And there very often were sparks in the training. And um, but that's all part of it, you know. You're you're friends after the training and and get on with life, and but you're all trying to do your best, and you're fighting your corner to get yourself selected, and and I think that's one of my my strongest suits is that I was very good at making myself selectable, and I didn't have many managers. I think I only had four managers at Tottenham in my 19 years. Some people, some players have four managers a season, don't they? Yeah. But um, but um, I I knew what the team needed, and I could give it. And I was a sort of an all-round player. I'd, I wasn't a goal scorer by any means, but I could defend, and I could spot danger, and I could read danger. And um, you know, I I I could cover the ground as well. And and I. I bought to the team what it needed to be, and and that's about you being able to change your own game. You know, when I when I went to right back and finished my career there, you know, I made it my job to get Glenn Hoddle the ball because I knew the more that Glenn had the ball, the better team we were. And you know, there's a trade-off there. You know, I would say to Glenn, Glenn, you're gonna have to get back a bit quicker than you just got back, me old mate. Because he knew that I was going to keep serving him the ball. And actually, the opposition knew it as well. But he was so good. He was so good. He could handle the fact that they knew he was going to get it. And he and he used their, their sort of pressure on him to get out of the pressure. So, um, you know, I didn't do that when I was 17. I was I was running around trying to win the ball for the players that could play. And in some respects, I remember Bill Nick saying to me one day that... But uh, Steve, Steve, a good big un beats a good little un. <laughs> what are you trying to say, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, 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 I wasn't quite big enough, and I wasn't quite quick enough. But I must have had something. 
I must have had something to play 800, nearly 900 games. So I, th I think that was a reading of the game. I think that was a leadership of the game. That was an anticipation. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I, I go from Ted, my brother, to Phil when I'm a young pro, driving every day in and out of the training ground. He's influence on me. I get in the, you know, the team and Bill is now all powerful with his direction and his, his guidance helped by Eddie Bailey. And, you know, we're playing against bloody good teams. Yes. I mean, good teams. Yes. You know, you think about the midfield players in that era and, and Alan Hudson and Charlie George and Everton, Kendall, Bull and Harvey and Colin Bell and these are these are super superstars in my eyes. You know, good solid pros, Alan Oakes, Mike Doyle, people like that. I mean, Man United, Charlton, Best, Law, Nobby Styles, <laughs> Christ. And the names just flow, Gordon Banks and wow, just a multitude of players. Johnny Gels, Billy Bremner. Eddie Gray, Lorimer, wow. And very competitive. No one gave you an inch. They wouldn't give you an inch. And it was game on every single time you played. Game on. And um, you, had to, you had to stand up for yourself and you had to fight your corner. And I, and I think that the, the, the way that... I spoke about Bill and Eddie not giving you praise. I think they needed to make life tough for you. Yeah. They didn't want you to get above yourself. And they knew eventually that you were going to be playing at Anfield or Old Trafford and you'd just give away the fourth corner on the spin <laughs> and you're being attacked. And the crowd are like sucking the ball in the goal. Well, are you going to just say, oh, it's too hard? Or are you going to stand up and say, come on, hit the fifth one in? Let's have let's have some more of this. And by the way, when we clear it, we're going to get out and go and score. So um, they just they were. I, I say that I was brought up by a get on with it society. They were they'd come through the sort of war, not necessarily fighting in the war in the trenches, but but being part of the 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 bombing of of cities and the the food rationing and. You know, you had to get on with life. You you were cold, but you'd find a way of finding some heat. Yes. This is not me. These are the people that were teaching me. Yes. And they weren't going to be soft with you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine saying to Bill Nick or Eddie Bailey or Keith Birkinshaw, I'm tired? <laughs> I mean, it would well. not. That would not have gone down very well. <laughs> And one of my best games ever, I scored two goals against AC Milan in a UEFA Cup semi-final. And it was the fourth game in six days. Yeah. So I am not too impressed when I'm hearing about how many games current day players have to play. I'm not impressed when a current day player gets a, a, a player's foot standing on his foot and they roll about like they've broken a leg. No. I just don't see it. And I I look at kids' football and I see the same sort of acting going on. Yeah. 
because they're watching too much television. They're not watching. Go and watch Sunday League football. Go and watch it over the park. And you will see men playing against men. And, and that's not a comment against women by any means, but Absolutely. I'm talking about what, what mm-hmm. we, how I was brought up. Yeah. And you see players looking at each other when there was a bit of an effy tackle went on. As though to say, I'm not going to promise you, but it's coming. Yeah. It's coming. You've got to be aware of all this as a player. And I think that sometimes today's players are a bit cosseted. They play too much keep ball. They don't know enough standard football. They they think the world is about keeping possession of the ball, even if you play 20 out of 25 passes backwards. I don't see it. No. I just don't see it. And um, I think the problem with the game today, and I know you've not answered this question, but <laughs> I'm trying to relate back to the yeah. 70s. Yeah. Get the ball forward. First look forward. Run forward, pass forward, think forward. And um, and I think there's a bit of that lacking these days. If you've got a team of absolute footballers like Manchester City, I can see why you play out from the back. Yes. There's a lot of teams who are not as good or as capable as Man City and they still try and play like they play. I find it unbelievable. Because you're right, Steve, when, when you've got situations like that, not top players and top teams like City. <clears throat> but ordinarily, the forward players are the best players. <coughs> Get it me. to them. And the defensive players are not as good as the Get forward players. Them. So why Get play your worst players against their best players and try and beat them and get it round them. No, Absolutely. get it forward, through the lines, through your midfield, and let's start playing in their half. You did reference Alan Ball. Um, oh, Alan he did, Ball. He didn't like it. Well, he says to you, didn't know you don't like me, do you? It's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that tells you about the competitiveness Absolutely. of the era. Yeah. He said, uh, because we, we swapped but paid money for Martin Peters, and Jimmy Greaves going the other way to West Ham. The midfield then that people fancied a bit was Mallory, Perryman and Peters, which was a bloody good midfield. But you needed to be because you were playing against good midfields. And one of the early games we played, Alan Ball turned to me and said, if if this team ever wins anything, I'll eat my fucking hat. (laughs) I sort of didn't like it, the fact that he said that to me. Yes. Because Mullery and Peters would have been his mates for England. Yeah. So he should have been saying it to them because they're the same level. Do you see what I mean? But I never forgot it. I never forgot it. And it gave me an extra surge in my legs if I was going to tackle him or challenge him or try and outrun him, which was very difficult because he was a bloody good player. But I think he, he, it was when he moved to the Arsenal. And uh, we used to have a player's bar in those days, which I don't think they have these days. And I'm stood at the bar, and he tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, you don't like me, Steve, do you? I said, not really, Alan. He said, you fucking would if you played with me. <laughs> and that was absolutely right. That was a... a I was being respectful to my club that you play for the Arsenal and I can't like you. Yes. I respect you. Yeah. Yeah. And I privately, I love you. 
<laughs> I ain't going to tell you that, am I? And um, and that's how that's how competitiveness was. I mean, I've seen players in the tunnel, Tottenham players in the tunnel, smiling and laughing with Liverpool players. Yeah, that weren't in our day. Trust me, it weren't. You you were gearing yourself up for the first tackle, and the first run, and the first whatever you know launch of the ball you were you needed to be ready there was no and the only ever time I saw that in my era when I've been involved with football is Brazilians when they meet each other before games yes and we- millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We had three Brazilians in our team in Japan, and the other teams normally had three or four or more. Well, they kiss and cuddle each other like <laughs> like their family, and in a way, they are football family. Yeah. But me and Ozzy used to say to them, "Kiss and cuddle all you want at the end of the game when it's all over, yeah. but we don't want to see it beforehand. Just don't don't come in their sight. Don't don't you know? Don't put yourself in front of them. Don't be there." Stay separate, and then and then do whatever you need to do at the end of the game. So, luckiest and unluckiest ground, Steve, during your career. The 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 ground I loved playing because it was the biggest test was Liverpool. Yeah, I always thought I was a better away player than a home player. The reason for that is I was always um, I was always a battler against the odds. And every away game, whether you played Stoke City, Coventry City. Derby County or Liverpool or Man United, it was game on. Yeah. And um, but Liverpool was, you know, what a great team over the years. What great leaders and what great ethics of a football club, and what great supporters. My word, do they support their team? And um, it was a, a, a massive test every time. So that's why I enjoyed it. The pitch was always good. And um, which couldn't always say about White Hart Lane, by the way. But um, luckiest ground, it wasn't particularly lucky for us. But um, but I I actually used to enjoy playing at West Bromwich Albion for some reason. And I think that was helped by we had good results there and good games of football and, you know, Tony Brown and and Jeff Astle and people like that, Ali, Ali Robertson and John Wilde. What what good players, Truick, well, good 
good players. Yeah, John Joles and Big Ron had fantastic sides there yeah. at, uh, at West Brom Albion. If you could replay just one game uh, throughout your career, what game would you like to replay and why? Um, I had... Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, we played one day against Liverpool at home and we had a lot of injuries and um, I scored and Gary Brooks scored and we were 2-0 up against a very good team and it was it was quite a notable game because I think Suness had been suspended the game before two games before and they didn't bring him straight back into the team so he was substitute and they put him on in the second half <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we sort of nicked a two-two draw, having been two-nil up, and the ball—the ball fell in midfield. I'm not a dribbler by any means. I was not a dribbler. I could run with a ball between two opponents, so to to bring them in as though like, oh, well, I better show Willie here. I yeah. better have a go at getting it. And then when they moved, I played the ball through to somewhere else. I, that was that was part of my strength. But the ball dropped in midfield and I was very good at reading where it was going to drop. And although I weren't quick, I, I, gained, I gained quickness if there was a ball involved. I weren't quick in running on the track, for instance. And I just got my toe there before um, the centre-back of um, Liverpool. Anyway, been on telly. I think he stopped Tomo. being on telly now. Tomo? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think he was Tomo. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I, and I, I don't know, I didn't mean to do it, but I got a toe there. That's all I was trying to do, and it goes through his legs. And now I'm steaming towards their back line. And I've sort of slightly overrun it, so Hansen comes for me. <laughs> And I'd do the same thing. I'd never meant to put it through his legs, but I did. I, I'm just meant to get my toe on it. And I, I towed it through his legs. And now I'm steaming at their box. And I'm I'm bearing down on Bruce Grobbler. And if I'd have scored, it would have been the best goal you've ever seen from a midfield player. It's not Jimmy Greaves, I'm telling you. But for a midfield player, it was unbelievable. And it, unfortunately, the TV cameras weren't there. But I hit the weakest shot ever at Grubbler. And he, he almost laughed at it. <laughs> I was so out of breath having run all that way <clears throat> and been that lucky. I just couldn't be, I couldn't be as lucky again. If I had been as lucky and it had fell over and I'd have put it in the net, it would have been some goal. So, and I've never been out to see it on telly because there was no cameras there. That's the problem. Some games there was, some games there wasn't. Yeah, match absolutely. of the day cameras and the big match, etc. But not like the the carpet uh, ah. broadcast that you get today. Everything is recorded. Sadly, Everything. it wasn't in our days. Paul Fletcher, yeah. the Burnley forward, uh, said to me on one of the podcasts, "You know, wherever you went, the dressing room had an Englishman, Irishman, Scotsman, and a Welshman, and you'd have a dresser, you'd have a comedian, and a ladies' man." Who were those characters <laughs> in your dressing room? He said, Gavin, everybody, Adam. The same dressing room wherever you went in football in the 70s. Well, I'm never going to forget the first day that Terry Naylor, who had been an amateur 
Yeah, I think he only signed pro at about 1920. It wasn't like he was an apprentice. He played for the reserves sometimes. He played for the A team a lot. Um, but they obviously weren't sure about him at the sort of decision ages. But they kept him on and eventually signed him pro. So I'd spent, me and Phil had spent, you know, probably a whole season in the A team with him. And we knew what a character this fellow was. I mean, him and his family worked in Smithfield Market. And this is a character. And we're thinking, well, what's he going to do? Because he always did something. And first day of pre-season, no one really knows who he is. Well, we did, but the, the older players wouldn't have known him. And of course, there's always going to be new players there, new signings. Some some had left from the season before, some had joined. And Terry was one of those that, that came through a sort of route that also Chris Hewton came through. He was never an apprentice. He he left school and got a job and used to play for the club at weekends and maybe train twice a week. Anyway, Terry all of a sudden gets up, walks over to the mirror in front of everyone. We're all waiting for our instruction of, you know, this is this group or that group or the other group. And um, he looks in the mirror and he starts sort of touching his hair and he says, anyone feel like dying today, tackle me. (laughs) So so me and Phil fully expected something like it, but even it was strong for us, you know. But you imagine the people like Mike England, Alan (laughs) Gilzine, Cyril Knowles, Pat Jennings. Oh, my word. Like, they are looking at each other like, whoa, what have we got here? <laughs> so, but what a character. What a character. And um, But the, the dressing room was full of characters. Yeah. I'm telling you, I still see Philip Bill today. Philip Bill was the piss taker. Um, you know, sometimes footballers are not that clever, but I tell you what, they can spot a weakness in someone. Yeah. <laughs> and no men on it. And it might be, your, you know, Ralph Coates coming down from the north and wearing the same trousers for three days. <laughs> and then when he comes in at the end of the third day training, you know, they're, they're hanging from the ceiling with a sign on them, no more, Ralph. <laughs> Don't you, you're not allowed to wear these again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah just just proper proper people um yeah a bit scatterbrained at times but all coming from the right direction and and were disciplined you know that's not the same when i tell you those stories it's not like they weren't disciplined bill nicholson never ever find a player right never you never wanted to let this man down be it on time be it on effort, you did not want to dare let him down. And that wasn't through fear. That was because of the respect you had for him. And that's how managers in the old style used to be, be it Jock Steen, be it Shankly, be it Busby, Catterick, Waddington, all these proper, proper people. And um, they led... By example, they spoke and you acted. A lot of them realized that the game's about character and personality. They didn't ever try and turn you into robots. They they 
they had enough faith in their own ability that they could deal with all and sundry. But it was how they put them all together. And, you know, I, I, I always say that I, I couldn't, I couldn't head the ball like Mike England or Gilly. I couldn't run as quick as Jimmy Robertson. I couldn't dribble like Ricky Villa. I couldn't pass like Glenn Oddle. I couldn't hustle like Ozzy Ardiles. I couldn't make a one-handed save like Pat Jennings. But you needed a Steve Perriman in your team. 11 Pat Jennings are not going to win a game. 11 Glenn Noddles. It's about how you put them together. And I was I was part of the glue that, that glued all the talents. And therefore, I, I, was, a, I was an important player to the team. And, and I, I would say technically not as good as, as what I've said. But, um, you know, my ability was my consistency. I didn't miss games. I didn't get injured a lot. I could lead I could add to others games and um, these are all vital you know when you when you're a manager you know the players you can rely on and you know the players you can trust and I don't think I was ever a 9 out of 10 well maybe against AC Milan when I scored the two goals maybe I was a 9 out of 10 that day but invariably I was a 7 I weren't ever a 4 or 5 I might just nick a 6 now and again but but um, so I, I was in that middle group and I, you knew what you were getting out of me. And the supporters trusted me as well. And that's why they respected me. And, and I respected them because they were no mugs, the, the, the supporters. And um, we were all in it together. We were, you know what? I would go into the, into the local calf after training along the I road there. And there was one, if you turn left, there was one. And if you turn right, there was one. And uh, the ground staff would be in there. And, uh, you know, these people were sort of sweeping the terraces and cleaning the toilets and doing all the stuff. And they loved their club. They loved it. And it might be, it might be you know, I'll pass two in the afternoon and this was their sort of break in the, the afternoon. And I'd be standing there in the queue, me and Phil, and they'd say, Steve, are you ever going to have a shot? <laughs> <laughs> and you know I know where they're coming from because they're a piss taking lot and I'd say well maybe so i say well you know make out it's your birthday or something just have a shot now and again will you <laughs> <laughs> but you were like a family yeah. you were all in it together and I would have to put the supporters in that family as well you were all in it together Yes, you was earning a bit more than the than the normal man, but you had the privilege of playing at White Hart Lane and being being adored by the supporters and being helped. And they gave you they gave me power in the legs. The supporters, you know, I, I read once about uh, Ian Rush saying that if he closed down a fullback and stopped that fullback getting the ball forward and then blocking it and knocking it out of play. The Anfield crowd would would like roars if he'd like scored a goal, yeah. mm. and what they're saying is we like that, we want you to do that again, we want some more of that, and that's what they did to me when I went into a fifty-fifty tackle, and came out either strong with it or or you know not losing the tackle by any means. They they let me know they liked it, 
And that's what they wanted. They wanted some more of it. And I gave them it because that's what they deserved. Yeah, 100%. Um, if you could revisit one season, Steve, what season would you like to go back to during your career? Oh, yeah, my best season was in the second division yeah. and I played alongside the centre-back and I bought the ball out. And I'm very critical these days of square, back, square, back, yeah. square, square, back, yeah. I would pick the ball up and I would go for holes. And having played in midfield, I knew how a midfield player would appreciate me passing the ball to him. And it was by putting a player out of the game before I did that. And um, I just loved it. I'd I'd been used to the the hustle-bustle midfield, and now I'm at the back and I can play. I I can dictate a game from the back. And... um, we went to some very strange places for us, Mansfield, etc. And um, at the fight, our corner there, and just about scraped through to get promoted back into the top league and put ourselves back on the big stage. And you're not on the big stage until you win something. And then, you know, a few years later, we, we have signed the Argentinians and then we topped it off with Crooks and Archibald. We ended up at Wembley. But the second division days were the, the groundwork of getting homegrown young players into the team. And that was the base of even better teams. You know, I'm looking at a picture in my office of Miller, uh, Brook, uh, of course me, Hoddle. And and I, I have this big thing about um, don't undervalue, don't undersell homegrown players because if you if you strip it right back every great player that you've ever heard of was homegrown somewhere mm-hmm. so it does not mean that homegrown is second class they're not always the best technical player i've ever played yeah. with Legend, homegrown uh where would tottenham be without harry kane these days yeah, absolutely homegrown George Best, the best player I've ever played against. Best player. Homegrown. You know, Bobby Charlton, etc., etc. I think the, the team 66 that we're all so proud of, I think 10 of the 11 were at the first club they started with when they played in that game. I think Ray Wilson was the only one that had been sold uh, to, to a new club before the World Cup. So, so... the whole world is looking for captains and I named two that I don't really like talking about Tony Adams the dancer (laughs) and uh, and John Terry yes and homegrown captains and I put myself in that category homegrown captain and when you're homegrown you understand the need and the desires of that crowd you understand when they're disappointed. You understand when they think you can do more and they're going to start on you if you don't give them more. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a... When you think about the 84 UEFA Cup win, no hoddle, no idea... Well, Ozzy was on the bench, but he shouldn't have been. No me, I was suspended. And we won it with, with basically a group of homegrown players. Yeah. And credit to Keith Birkinshaw and his staff for that because they did concentrate on it and and uh, 
you, you, you get a certain extra bit out of homegrown players. And of course, some are not going to make it and they've got to move on. And I remember we, we, how good were Norwich one year? We supplied them Crook, Polston, Bowen, Culverhouse. Yeah. I think they got to the semi-final, the Cup Winners' Cup or, or, or one of the European competitions uh, with, with homegrown Tottenham players. And um, so, yeah, but it, like all things, it's a mixture of all of those things, those qualities, be it homegrown, be it coming from Argentina, be it, you know, Ray Clements coming after winning five championships with Liverpool. Um, you know, it, it takes all sorts to, to make a team. And um, but, but going back to the 70s, I was proud and honoured I had success. I had huge failure in the 70s because I captained the team that went down. And, uh, you know, when you're driving home from Manchester City, having beat 5 0, yeah. with a, still two or three games left of the season, yeah. and the supporters' coaches are coming past you, they're letting you know. They are letting you know. Yeah. And rightly so. Um, but, but that's the reason why you stay on and make sure you get them back to the place where they deserve to be. And so, yeah. Absolutely. Very, very proud of being in that era. Dennis Mortimer says to me, the greatest atmosphere that he ever played in was when he played at White Hart Lane. And it was Aussie's first yep. home game yep. with yep. all the ticker tape. What, yep. what was your finest atmosphere that, that you ever played in? You played in cup finals, you played well, in I big, didn't play. Games. I didn't play this one. I, I was suspended against Anderlecht. It was yeah, second leg of the UEFA Cup. Yeah, with drawn yeah. 1-1 in Belgium. And I was suspended. And it's been proven since that the referee that gave me the, the yellow card that got me suspended was bent. Yeah, Not in our game, but he was bent the game before for Anderlecht to beat Forrest. Yes. And um, he yeah. took a bribe. Well, yeah. I suggest he took a bribe to give me the second yellow card. But the atmosphere inside White Hart Lane on that final was electric. Yeah. And the fact that we were losing the game and Roberts in his captain, with his captain's armband, taking the responsibility and ended up getting the goal that sent it to extra time, which eventually sent it to penalties. And young Tony Parks, again, homegrown, you know, playing instead of Ray Clements, saved the penalty. Wow. Danny Thomas missed one of our penalties, and it looked like that was going to cost us. And the crowd chanted his name the whole way back to the halfway line. Wow. Number one, how did that make Danny feel? Yeah. And two, if you're going to take the next penalty or two or three for Tottenham, how did it make you feel to hear that noise they made for Danny Thomas? Yeah. So that is when a team, team and the crowd are in unison. And that's what it can do for you. It makes you feel better, stronger, hungrier, and uh, gives you the belief that you can win it. And that's that's what we did. Are you still okay for another ten minutes or so? There's a yes, couple of yes, questions yes. I want to sure, uh, talk sure, to. Sure. Um, what's your most prized possession from your playing days? Would it be the number five shirt that you had in 1981? Because <laughs> <laughs> it was bloody good in that second game, the replay. 
Well, I played. I made sure we got the numbers changed. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah. So number six, I wore. Um, prize possession is um, uh, uh, sorry, it's the same game. But yeah. at the end, of, so I was suspended for the second leg of the final. Yeah. We played six rounds, including the final. So that's a total of twelve games. I played eleven games. And I didn't, um, so I didn't go up and collect a medal, and um, therefore I didn't get a medal. And Ozzy Ardiles gave me his medal at the end of the game. Wow. And that is a true, true gentleman. On the basis of, Steve, you, you deserve this medal more than me. Wow. I mean, that's, that's a proper, proper teammate. So as proud as I am that I've got a youth cup winner's medal, well, I've got, actually got two. I never told Ozzy that. I've got one from the 70s. <laughs> but um, the fact it was Ozzy's medal that he gave me was makes it even more special. Um, I've got the cup final ball um, that Ricky scored for the 81 replay. Right. You get presented with the ball at the end of the game by the, by the referee as the winning captain. So I've still got that. And um, but you, you know, I was I was manager of the year in Japan in '99. As I told you, we won the league. We went on to win an Asian competition, and we were one goal away from qualifying for the first ever World Club Championship. Yeah. This small club in Japan, and um, you can imagine how proud I was of that job I did there. Wow! And um, there's there's a place you get respect. Yes. And having left Tottenham under Sugar, mm. Sugar Sugar is the only man in the world that can say sack Steve Perryman. Mm. I mean, how famous does that make me? <laughs> 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 so, um, but in terms of respect, wow, you go to Japan, you see respect between people just, Two old ladies meet in the street who don't know each other, and they bow, and then they bow, and then they bow again, mm. and they're looking at each other as though to say, "Who's the oldest?" Because if you're the oldest, I've got to bow lower than you just bowed. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like a some sort of uh, um, mating ceremony going on, but um, but wonderful. What great experiences you get through playing football and traveling the world and and. But you know what? It's the the uh, the people that you meet and the people you meet in your own dressing room is the uh, the top of all. You know, Jimmy Greaves as a 17-year-old. I won a tackle against Bobby Moncur and the ball broke to the halfway line where Greaves was waiting. It was almost as if I'd tackled to him, which I didn't. I just wanted to win the tackle. And then he goes and beats all the players and puts it in the net and runs back to the halfway line and shakes my hair, messes my hair up. And I've got that on film, you know, Alan Gilzean rooming with him and listening to the stories about Dave Mackay. Dave Mackay was a warrior. Billy Bonds at West Ham, warrior, absolute warrior. I played in midfield with uh, Alan Hudson and, and uh, Tony Curry for the England under-23s up in Newcastle against Scotland. 
Scotland are still chasing the ball now. They ain't ever going to get it. <laughs> they ain't ever going to get yeah. it. Yeah. And, um, you know, this is a player that played with Glenn Oddle and, and Ozzy Ardiles in midfield and Martin Peters and Alan Mullery. That day I played with them two. My God, what what an experience. And they, they were good players everywhere. And, and I mean everywhere. But they weren't treated like good players. No. They, they, people didn't fall at their feet. Yeah. They made you feel good when you was on the pitch, I tell you. But they didn't, they, you weren't on adverts. You weren't, you weren't on TV game shows. <laughs> you weren't in the jungle. <laughs> you weren't on top of the pups. <laughs> you were, well, we were. We Got were on the top of the pups. In the 80s, yeah, we were. But Yeah, oh, no, that, uh, that's sort of an embarrassment in a way, but it was fun. It was fun. And it got, it got us all together. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the fact, you make a record and then you lose. Watch out. Watch out. When you make a record and you win. So, um, yeah, I thought the the FA Cups had passed me by, but but thankfully 81 and 82, it hadn't passed me by. But, but, um, you know, to to meet Chaz and Dave and live off the confidence that they've got in them being professional at their job, seeing them work their profession, wow, that's, that's proper. That's proper. We were professional. But they were professional, and and you can't ever forget that. You you see someone on telly doing their job, that's acting or or singing, or whatever. Well, that's that's special. And they look at you in exactly the same light. Most rock stars want to be footballers, and a lot of footballs, well, in the seventies, were rock stars, weren't they? Yeah. Well, we was in the bar at, at the BBC. Um, probably after I'm sure it was after the, one of the top of the pops and, and Paul McCartney walked in yeah. and when he looked at Glenn Oddle and Glenn Oddle looked at him you have never seen such <laughs> respect yeah. between two people and uh, truly truly amazing so I mean that's, that's what you had to deal with it was it was about moments you know being a footballer is, is, of course, you look back and you say, oh, I played 42 out of 42 that year. But sometimes you can't remember the, the finer details yeah. of them. Some you can, but it's the it's the moments you get. The moments, wow. And um, uh, I spoke to him the other day, uh, Bruce Grobbler. He right. was telling me I beat him with a header at Anfield in front of the cop from the edge of the box. And I had to say to him, Bruce... You know, I love what you're saying. It weren't me. <laughs> Steve, I'm telling you, it was you. Bruce, you don't think if I scored a goal with my head in front of the cop against you that I wouldn't remember it? He said, Steve, I'm telling you, it was you. <laughs> so I have lots of great conversations. Patsy Holland, Patsy Holland of West Ham. I spoke to him the other day. Uh, Tony Wan I met um, not long ago at a, a function where I was talking and you know proper proper people Gary Stevens and, and such like and Huddy of course I'm going to have a meet up with him up in the West End somewhere Paul Miller um, all great great people and, and all got stories to tell about their era and our games against each other but uh, 
proper times, proper, proper times. Absolutely. Is there a song or songs? I do a regular podcast with Alan, My Life, My Music, and uh, Al always says football and music go hand in glove. It's all about the working man's ballet, the title of his autobiography that the great Tony Waddington gave him. Is there ah. any song or songs that remind you of your playing career, Steve? Um, I said to Mickey as I one day, Mickey, you're one of the best talents I've ever seen. But we don't know, and you don't know, when you're going to play well. So you lack consistency. When you're on it, you are so hot. You are such a twisty turner of the ball. People could never take the ball off you. Mickey, what happens to make you know you play well? Are you going to play well? Uh, Steve, um, if I'm warming up and there's a good song on the, on the loudspeaker, I think, yeah, this is me. <laughs> I said, well, Mick, you know, unfortunately you can't control what that music is, can you? So you, if you're going to wait for the right song, you might have to wait. You might have to wait half a season for the song. But anyway, what sort of song? And he said, Band of Gold. And I've never forgot that term. And then whenever I hear that song, I think, Mickey... <laughs> Mickey's getting turned on somewhere if he's listening to the same radio program I'm listening to. So, um, but I mean, my taste is I've been brought up with Tamla Motown yeah. and this old art of mine and the Isley Brothers and all that, you know, Stevie Wonder, proper, proper stuff. Absolutely. And finally, Steve, if you could have a one to one with anybody dead or alive, who who would it be with and why? Oh, what a question that is. Yeah, Malcolm McDonald said President Tito. That's from left field, Malcolm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very interesting one. Um, I think I think it would be because I'm a Spurs man. Yep. And I respected this kid. And it's not like I don't like him now, because he left us. But I'd like to hear the real story of Sol Campbell. Yes, yeah. I'd like to hear it. And because, you know, people, when I give talks, they want me to sort of criticise him and all that. And, mm. and in a way, I can't, because everyone's got to do the, the best for themselves and all that. But... You know, I, I made the, I made the, I, I tell people if I would have been a player under Alan Sugar, instead of staying 19 years, I wouldn't have stayed 19 months. Yep. Does that make me disloyal? No. I don't think so. No, not at all. I don't think so. The club has got to carry it off, and the club that I joined, from the youth coach to the reserves to the 18 to the manager. And the board who you didn't know, you never saw, and the supporters, they all carried it off. There was a, a similar tune going on in everyone's head and the desire to make that club better. And, you know, if, if you go somewhere and you, you ain't got that feeling about it, 
this is not right. Yeah. This is not right. So I want to hear that from Sol. And, um, and then perhaps I would disrespect him a bit more than I do at the minute. <laughs> but hopefully not. But yeah, um, but yeah that, that would be an interesting one. Simply because he, he took a different route to me. Yes. Sol Campbell could have played more games than I played, for instance. And um, not that I'd have been happy with that, but I'd have been respectful of it. So, um, so yeah. Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure. And before we do sign off, are you still doing that book about the 1981 FA yes. Cup final? Because it was the 100th. It wasn't yes. the centenary, as people are going, no. no. It was 72, Leeds and Arsenal. Yes, it was. But the 100th FA That's Cup it. final was 1981. Man City yep. Spurs. When, when yeah. will it be out? It's been good. Um, I think it was meant to be out before the World Cup. I think it just hit a, some sort of problem mm-hmm. at some stage, but but probably come out during the World Cup. Yeah. Um, I've written it with Julie Welch, who's right. a famous lady writer. Yeah. And uh, it's been fun, been really good fun. And because of COVID and all the stuff, we've done it over Zoom, lots and lots of Zoom meetings. But I had great fun, really great fun doing it. And, um, and yeah, it, it sort of tells the story, the FA Cup, really, from the Tottenham perspective, from my perspective, and what happened and didn't happen and who should have played or who didn't play. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Tottenham people are very, very good book buyers. <laughs> I, think, I think there's some statistic that say they... they they buy more books than any other club in the country. Right. But um, it was fun. That's the point. And um, I don't want to put my name to anything if it don't deserve it. And this will deserve it, as my own book did. Um, the, the, coming back to my book, if you don't mind. Of course. My brother kept the best, the very best um, scrapbooks for me. Wow. And all those pictures that are yeah. used are pristine they are they are in plastic they are they've not gone yellow you know the match reports they are and and again that comes back to ted and his 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 way of of his attention to detail and stuff you know and um yeah so that that was the point if you've got all that you might as well use it and uh the pictures tell the story if you can't even read, if you if you know what I mean. And and I think this book, the 81 book, will be of a similar vein, uh, that it's a lot of pictures as well, but um, perhaps a, just a little bit more insight about the particularly the 81 final and the cup run that would have been in my, my personal book. But, yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, it's been really good to talk to you, mate. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure in your 81 book how the... Cup was won, um, well, by Tottenham Hotspur, one of the greatest cup sides that we've seen of these shores. But out there in Argentina, in a ranch where Ricky was dancing around the trees and he brought that tree moment to Wembley in 81. Wow, Fantastic. didn't he just? <laughs> didn't he just? Fabulous. And, and, the, and the, yeah, the, the, the crunch line to that story is that Ricky would practice on his own in and out the trees. Yeah. And of course, then he said, you know, because the vast areas in Argentina, he said, you know, I didn't play 11 v 11 until I went to the big school and I was about 13. And now I'm playing 11 v 11 and I'm running with the ball. And the teacher 
coach is screaming at me, Ricky, pass, Ricky, pass. And I'm thinking, what the fuck's pass? <laughs> What's a pass? <laughs> and he recreated it at Wembley for us. And Garth Crooks recreated the trees. <laughs> oh, well, Ricky had to beat Garth, didn't he? And Garth's marker. Wow, what a, what a moment. And, um, yeah, good fun, though. Good characters. Very honest team, that. Yeah, very, a, very honest team. A fantastic team to watch as well, Steve. Me being yeah. a Birmingham City supporter, and uh, you're not saying the FA Cup one of the years. I can't remember if it was that year. It was certainly yeah. when um, Alberto was playing. So I think it was yes. probably uh, eight, uh, 78, 79 season. Yeah, but, probably the one before. Yeah, but Tottenham were a great team to watch with you and with Glenn and Ozzy and Ricky and... You know, fab- yeah. fabulous team. And it was a coming moment. together. It was a coming together of talents. Yeah, it, was. it really was. And and Keith, it was a coming together of Keith because, I mean, how could Keith Birkinshaw keep his job these days if if he gets Spurs relegated? How's that possible? But they did stay loyal to him. And he, he would always say to me, Steve, I'm going to build a team here. And he did build it. He did. And the famous quote when he left in 84, he used to be a club there. Mm. Want some thinking about, Absolutely. need some thinking about. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Steve, those were the days, my friend. Great to talk to you. Thanks, pal. I love the 70s. Yes. Keep, keep uh, doing what you're doing. Absolutely. Speak soon. Cheers, mate. All right, mate. See you Thank soon. You. Bye-bye. Good luck to you. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.